Well, hello and uh, welcome back to this week's episode of the Cincy Reformed Podcast. I'm Zach. I'm here with Brandon like normal and we are co-pastors at Westside Reformed Church. Thank you for joining us. This week we're going to be talking about the basic topic of uh, borrowing. And this might sound kind of strange, uh, but borrowing when it comes to the biblical text and some of the biblical ideas that are found uh, within the biblical text. And Brandon, would you mind maybe kind of shedding some light in terms of um, how some documentaries have maybe presented this concept? That way our listener knows a little bit more about what we're referring to when we talk here about borrowing. Yeah, so, um, yeah, there's been a, a few documentaries out. Uh, one was came out m- maybe a decade or so ago, basically c- claiming that Christianity comes from the Egyptian god Horus, and that Horus was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, rose again from the dead. And then we just kind of took this idea uh, from the god Horus in Egypt, and then we said, well, that's Jesus. And mm-hmm. I just kind of brought this quote-unquote myth over. And the whole documentary is kind of claiming that we just borrowed from Egypt, basically. And uh, an, an, uh, uh, there's a newer documentary out that's claiming that we are borrowing from... Uh, tales that were told about a Roman emperor. And we basically just kind of took what was said about Roman emperor and we're bringing that on board and now we're speaking about Christ like that. Um, of course, that's not the case. And there's, you know, the debates like this get messy because, for example, while the, uh, the, uh, the god Horus, right, I mean, that's a, a, an ancient um, a deity that the ancient Egypts believed in for uh, a long time that even predates Christ, it's interesting that a lot of our writings actually on Horus post-date Christ. So even while the concept of the god Horus predates our writings speaking about Horus post-date. And what, what, what's interesting is that there was, as Christianity was, was becoming more of, uh, more of a, a global thing, more of a um, uh, sanctioned religion that was expanding, a lot of people were, were rewriting old myths with the narrative of the day. And so, so some of that could be going on. But also, too, when you go back and look at um, the ancient Egyptians and some of their gods and, and some of the stories of their gods, there's, there's quite a bit of stretching happening where people will talk about, well, this one god uh, became a seed, and then the seed died, and then it sprouted into something else, and so see, that's the resurrection. It's like, well, I think you're stretching here. You're trying to find these like odd parallels that may or may not really be there. So, one, there's a lot of stretching when, we're, when they're trying to make parallels with Christianity to an ancient deity. And secondly, um, the writings on those ancient deities come after the birth of Christ, when the narrative of Christ was being kind of propagated around a bit. Um, so again, it's, it's, a, it, it, uh, it's a hairy debate. It gets into documentation and manuscripts and the dating of manuscripts, how we know about various deities and, and such. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a kind of a tedious debate to enter into. Um, but um, yeah, that, those are some of the claims, though, that's out there. So does that mean that that the Old Testament, the Jews, and that Christians never borrowed anything? And does that make borrowing, like if we did borrow something, would that undermine Christianity 
in our biblical faith? What are some of your thoughts on, uh, on that as to did it happen? And then if it did, is that a problem? Sure. So I do think that pagan nations borrowed from the true religion, the, the, the true God, the true people of God. Um, and, you know, I, I think even from, you know, thinking about the false religions out there, you know, one person calls them, you know, copycat religions, where Satan is making a lot of copycats based upon the true one, and so you see a lot of other religions that have some similarities, right? Um, but I think that is, uh, again, Satan inspiring these copycat religions, and all the way, th all the way through creation, back to the very beginning of creation, there was a promise that the seed of the woman would come and crush the seed of the. Uh, of the serpent or the head, head of the serpent. And so um, even, even in, all the way back to Adam in the garden, the very beginning of creation, the gospel is being told, right? And so it makes sense, even if we find parallels between an ancient god or ancient religion or whatever it is, even if we see parallels, it's because this true narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes back all the way to the beginning of creation with Adam and Eve, and it's been carried on through throughout history, where, where um, uh, progressive re revelation, we're getting more and more info, for example, with Isaiah telling us that the seed of the woman was going to actually be a virgin, and so on and so forth. So these ideas did not sprout up with Jesus 2,000 years ago. These ideas about the gospel have been promised since right after the beginning of creation. So we should not see problems when we see parallels. In fact, um, one book um, entitled Against the Gods by John Currid, he spoke about how um, there's places where we see Egypt borrowing from, uh, from Israel. So for example, we, we, we know that in uh, Exodus, for example, God says, um, I am who I am. He calls himself the great I am. Well, there's a text where, uh, where Egypt actually kind of borrowed that phrase and placed it on one of, one of their gods, where one of their gods said, he is the I am. And scholars um, see with the evidence that actually it was Egypt borrowing from ancient Israel. Uh, it's interesting that in, in kind of the secular mind, though, whenever a secular person sees a parallel or a borrowing, they automatically say, well, 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 Israel must have got it from the pagans. Well, Christians must have got it from the pagans. And they never say it the other way around. Because borrowing happened from taking what is true of the true God and the true religion and then borrowing that as well. But you're right, Zach, there, there, there has been some borrowing um, of the pagans as well. So um, there, there, there have been wisdom writings in ancient, in ancient uh, Egypt, for example, that ancient Israel took on as well. So the borrowing wasn't just one way or the other, but there was kind of a back and forth borrowing, right? Um, so, for example, in one of the borrowings, um, Amenopet, uh, one of the Egyptians writing a wisdom book, he said, Do not associate to thyself the heated man nor visit him for conversation. So a, a wisdom writing, warning about not visiting somebody who's heated or angry. But there's a notable parallel with Proverbs 22-24. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man. So kind of a parallel here between what was written in Egypt, what was written in, in the Bible. So how do we understand 
some of these parallels, I guess, would be another question, right? I think so, because when we start to, we could get carried away, couldn't we? Mm -hmm. If you begin to think that, you know, this uh, borrowing means that, you know, Israel or the church adopted everything that the pagan world was thinking. We don't want to go there, obviously, do we? Uh, but then we also see things like, I, my mind goes to uh, John chapter 1, and then the use of the term logos to speak about Jesus, which is sort of taking a concept that was common amongst the Greco-Roman world and then applying that to Christ. But it didn't mean that there's like a wholesale adoption of the worldview that stood mm. behind that, did it? Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, and even one more example, when Paul says, you know, in him we live and move and have our being, that was from, from a, a pagan poet that was speaking about Zeus. Um, but obviously repackaging that and showing how that only really worked on the Christian scheme of things. So, you know, you know, we understand that the worldview of the Egyptians and the worldview of the Israelites were antithetical to one another. So, I mean, for example, on, on several points, you know, you can see they're, they're not lining up here. Whereas Israel believed in one God, the true God. In ancient Egypt, you, it, was, it was polytheistic. You had many gods. Um, they had this idea that uh, there was a cosmic order of you know, justice and truth that they called Mott. And But what's interesting is even though Mott is spoken of as, as a goddess, it functioned like a concept, something impersonal, like an impersonal concept out there, almost akin to a fate or something, right? Um, they, they also um, saw education and, and imparting wisdom in more disciplinary ways. Now, discipline, correction, and teaching um, can have a close meaning within the Bible, whereas, but, but with Egypt, it had more of a discipline connotation, whereas in the, in, in, in the Bible, it had more of a pedagogical connotation. And then also, um, the audience is, was different as well for, uh, you know, Solomon's writing wisdom for his son, for, for I mean, it's, it, in fact, it was used by the ancient Israelites as a textbook to teach children in school. Like, they would use the book of Proverbs to instruct wisdom in, in school. But in, in Egypt, it's interesting, the aim in Egypt was aimed at senior and middle-ranking officials. It had almost a governmental uh, function here. So the contexts are different where the Proverbs speak about God creating the universe, not coming out of like a chaotic thing, not, not, not coming out of battling gods or deities, but it was God creating and wisdom. Uh, um, he created the world through wisdom, and the whole worldview of the Proverbs is just different from the worldview of, of Egypt. But even though the Egyptians were fallen, sinful people, they still had common grace insights. They still um, were able, because of God's common grace, to uh, produce and see various works of wisdom. Now, that had to be reappropriated. You don't want to bring something wholesale, you know, as you mentioned, because it, the, the, the wisdom of the Egyptians was in a very polytheistic way. It had some different connotations to it. And so you can't just bring it in with all these Trojan horses that are going to kind of wreck your, your, your understanding of the true God. But it has to be scrubbed of its paganism. But still, there was, true, uh, there, there was truth to, to, to be gleaned by some of what we see. See from from the uh, Egyptians, I think.
Uh, I think uh, Robertson, O. Palmer Robinson, he, he wrote a book called The Christ of Wisdom, and he was wrestling with this kind of back and forth, and how do we understand the borrowing of Egyptian wisdom writings and bringing that into Scripture or repackaging it? You know, how do we understand that? And he had a great statement. He said, their interrelationship may be best explained through presuming studied interaction among the schooling experiences of the wisdom scribes of the various nations, which undoubtedly provided opportunity for the study of a wide range of wisdom writings. It is quite possible to imagine, he says, Solomon and the wise men of his kingdom scrutinizing the wisdom material of Egypt, noting the sameness of some of their proverbial sayings and adjusting them so that they would conform to the larger truth arising from the uniqueness of Yahweh, and, and the one and only true God of creation and covenant, who revealed himself with consistency to Abraham, the patriarchs, Moses, and the people of Israel. And, so, and then he goes on to say, If in any way Israel derived some of its expressions from the wisdom of Egypt, they must be understood as being wholly transformed by their context in the Old Testament faith of Israel. So because God's common grace, we see insights with many, many nations, other people, pagans, and we can glean those, and we can incorporate those, and we see Israel doing that. But you know, to your point before, we don't want to go to an extreme with it and say, well, they just borrowed everything. Well, they didn't just borrow everything. Again, I think they scrutinized, as Paul, as um, um, Robertson said, you know, they, they scrutinized seeing the sameness of some things and, and, and scrubbing it of its, of its paganness, you could say, bringing it into a, a proper understanding of the world and God, etc. So anything else to add? I don't think so. I think that's been really uh, helpful. Thanks for walking us through that, yeah. and uh, we hope that's been helpful for you. Um, may we be encouraged to have and seek common grace insights as we go into uh, the world around us, always applying that, however, to the uh, biblical worldview and the biblical way of thinking, but uh, nevertheless, uh, recognizing that people around us who are not believers have real insights that uh, we can benefit from because, again, uh, God does uh, shed abroad his common grace to all, even though the church alone um, celebrates his uh, saving grace. So. We hope it's been helpful for you. Uh, please join us uh, next week at Since Reformed Podcast. Until then, Zach Brandon here. We'll see you then. Bye-bye.